she can turn on that monitor if she'd like to, to participate as well. Okay? For the rest of us, we have been going through the, um, the subject of knowing God, seeking to, to grow in the knowledge of God. For some, it may be the beginning of a pursuit, the beginning of a quest. And we have used um, the illustration over the, the past couple months as the ocean and equating God to an ocean and um, the, how large that ocean is and the depths and the breadths and the lengths and the heights, if you would, of, of, that, of that ocean. And that many of us have only ever come to the, the shore and have just admired the ocean. Um, some of you have stepped into the ocean and have waited a little bit, but my, my desire for you is to, to become more and more um, engrossed, I guess, with that, to, to go in and enjoy, enjoy the, the relationship that you can have with Jesus Christ. Um, and as I've stated in the past, it is the most stimulating and rewarding of all relationships that you can ever have, is to have a, a, a vibrant relationship with the God who created the heavens and the earth. And it's an amazing thing if you think about it, and especially today as we consider the topic we're going to be looking at, that the God who created that heavens and the earth, who is beyond the universe, desires to have close, intimate fellowship with you. And that you can have that close, intimate fellowship with Him. Now, over this past weeks, as we've considered the subject of knowing God, we have considered the existence and the exclusiveness of God. That was the fact that God is, and that He is God alone. He alone is God. There is only one God. We then consider the composition of God, and that is that God is one God, but yet He has expressed Himself in three. And so what we refer to as the triunity or the trinity of God. I like triunity um, I'm better, but that God has expressed Himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yet they're not just expressions. They are fully distinct individual personalities of God, and yet there's no division. There is one, oneness in the Godhead. And so that Jesus Christ, while here on the earth, was the manifestation of God in the flesh, and he was fully God, but yet while he was here, he was fully man. An amazing thing for us to con- comprehend. Then we began to go into the attributes of God. It, the attributes of God. And we began to look at the, um, the natural attributes of God. Uh, talking about those attributes of God that are, that are part of who he is naturally. And so the last two weeks we looked at the sovereignty of God. Because he is God, he is, is sovereign. Um, after we look at these natural attributes, we're probably going to consider some vocational attributes of God. And then we're going to look at some moral attributes of God. Okay? And you'll see what I mean by those as we go along. But today we want to slide into then the next of these natural attributes. And there's actually four of them that we want to cover today. And I'm wrapping them all up into one large concept, and that is the limit, limitlessness of God. The limitlessness of God. And so what do I mean by that God is limitlessness, or limitless? That means that he is what? He's unlimited. He is without bounds, okay? That you cannot um, put any boundaries on God, okay? He is not bounded by his creation, it just makes sense that everything that you can think of, everything that you have in, as a concept that you can kind of put your hand to, you know, like I pound the pulpit, right? And I think that this is real. But this isn't just real from the perspective, it's only real because what? Because God made it real. 
That's exactly right. But there is a reality that is beyond of this, this concept that I have, which is really a part of God's creation. And so God is not bounded by that which he has created. And so he is beyond that. So in this concept of the limitlessness of God, we want to look at it in two phases. First, we're going to look at the spheres of God's limitlessness. And then I want to look at two derivatives of God's limitlessness as well. First of all, the spheres of, God limit, the spheres of God's limitlessness. Okay? First of all, he is eternal. Now, what does eternal mean? Eternal talks about temporal temporal limitlessness. That is in the concept of time. Okay? So when we talk about eternity, we always refer to eternity, that God is eternal, and we see that as a temporal term having to do with time, chronology, if you would. Okay? That, that something has a beginning and an end. So the reality is that as we look to one another, you know, we know that each one of us have a starting point, theoretically. Right? We have a what? A birth date, okay? Now, the reality is if we want to go beyond that, we can talk about it being an inception date, okay? Or the, concept, the day that you were conceived, okay? But we, we know that in our realm on the earth, we call it a birthday, right? And then you're going to have a what? A death date. Yeah, we don't like to call, refer to that. We don't like to even think about that. But the fact, we have these terminal points. We have the beginning and we have an end. God doesn't have those. God is eternal. He is without beginning in an end. And in Psalm chapter 90, we see in verse 1 and 2 that Moses, is a prayer of Moses that he's saying, he says, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you have formed the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting. In other words, from before there is anything till after there is anything, you are God. We're told in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, that God is the everlasting God. He is the one who what? Has no final terminal point. We're told in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, that he is the eternal God. Okay? He is the Yahweh Oz, that he is the one who, again, who is eternal. Now, when you think about this concept of eternity, back in Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, what do we read about? The beginning. In fact, we're told that in the what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if in the beginning God created, that means that something had to be prior to the creation, right? God. In philosophy, there is what's referred to as the um, uncaused cause. The uncaused cause. That just sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? But somewhere in eternity past... There has to be something that caused everything else, but that had no cause in and of itself. Something has to be eternal. Now, I went back to Genesis 1.1, because in what we refer to in this concept of eternity, in the concept of, as a concept of time, if God was before Genesis 1.1, if he was before, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then he was before what? time. And so it's a mind-boggling thing, but though we look at eternity as being a temporal um, limitlessness, reality is it goes beyond the concept of time. Because God is not bound by time. Do you get it? We like to put God within the concept of time. God is outside the concept of time. 
God already knows what happened tomorrow. And what's really neat, in the Hebrew language, you can have a future completed action. Figure that one out. And when God declares in the, in, in the prophetic portions of Scripture their com- future completed action, they are already done deals. That future Babylon that we look forward to figuring out, is it really the United States, as I talked about last year, potentially the, the seventh head? And, and who's going to be that eighth head on the beast, you know, that, that Babylon at the end times? It's not a mystery to God. It's only a mystery to you and I. Whether or not the United States is that seventh head and whoever that eighth head is, God already knows. God already knows who will be the earthly rulers of, the, of that kingdom. And God already knows what their end will be. God is not confined by time. For you and I, we understand everything as a concept of past, present, and future. For God, it's one big thing. It just is. And do you know why it is? Because he is. Because God is, you are. Back in the 1960s, there was the, the and I showed this um, a few weeks ago um, on the Life magazine. It was a Life or Time. Anyways, that said, the question, asked the question, is God dead? You know, there's really one great proof that God's not dead. You are. <laughs> well, yeah, they asked the question. That's exactly right. But you are. Because you're sitting here, you know for a fact that God is. Because in all life is contained within, within God. All time is an expression of God. And because you are existing in the concept of time, you are living proof that there is what? There is God. So God is eternal. He is everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting. So he has no beginning point. He has no ending point. That's one of the, the, the greatest questions that that kids like to come up and ask, and even adults, where did God come from? Have you ever asked that to yourself? Where did God come from? I, I think that, I mean, it just, it's, as the mathematician side of me, the finite side of me, it drives me bonkers. It'll cause my head to spin. Because everything has a what? Has a beginning. At least that's the way my brain is wired. Everything has a beginning. But God has no beginning. And so what is there outside of time? God. But that blows me away. Because every time I start to think about it, I still think about it in the concept of what? Time. But not only do I think about it in the concept of time, I think it is a a concept of space. But God is infinite. He is spatially limitless as well. God is not confined as well by his creation. Time is a part of his creation. Space is a part of his creation. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth are the definition of space to us of the X, Y, and the Z plane. So what was before the X, Y, and the Z plane? God. <laughs> isn't this, isn't this mind-boggling? And in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, we read some of the words of Solomon after he, he built the, the temple of God. He says, Now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built... Now, I think this is an amazing statement that Solomon's making. He says, you know, I look up into the heavens, and I consider even beyond them, into the heavens of heavens. In other words, beyond what I can even comprehend out there. 
and I know what? Not just that you're there, but they can't even contain you. How much more so than this little bitty temple? If you were on Voyager, anybody know what Voyager is? What's Voyager? It's a probe, not just a Jupiter. It's, 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 it's beyond Jupiter now. It's actually passing through Saturn, I believe. Okay? It, Voyager is a probe, deep, deep space probe that we sent out years ago, and it's still sending back pictures of, of the different planets and um, things that are going on. And so let's say you're on Voyager. Um, can we see Voyager right now? Clearly not with the naked eye, can you? I mean, you can't hardly even see Saturn with the naked eye. Okay? Jupiter is very tiny, and Jupiter is about 50 times the size of the Earth. So could you imagine being on Voyager looking back at the Earth? You can't see it. But you're going out there, and you continue to go on and on and on. How far do you think Voyager will go? It's not very far because it's man-made. No, it, it, it's, it's going to keep going. Because of gravity. Now, someplace, it may come into a, a planet that has some gravitational pull. It'll, it'll suck it in, and, and maybe it'll, it'll crash and burn into some planet. But let's assume for a moment that there is no gravitational pull. Okay? How far will Voyager go? That's to the end of the universe. Isn't it mind-boggling? Because what, what I'm asking you is, what's the limit of your spatial reasoning? Do you get it? I mean, because that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what the whole, this whole debate on, you know, why this, the, the Hubble telescopes and all this kind of stuff and trying to find the black holes and what's in the black hole and what is a black hole and, and is the universe ever expanding? Okay? So for the, in the evolutionary concepts, to say that the universe is ever expanding means what? No, no. There is an end because it's ever what? Expanding. That means that the, the ends are what? They're finite, but they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So if you can send something out faster than it's expanding, you can do what? You can hit the end of the universe. What's there? You can fall off the end of the earth. That's exactly right. The universe is flat, and you're going to fall off the end. Anyways, but think about it. I mean, this isn't, I hope this is, for some of you, it's, it's going to boggle your brain, and I hope it does. For some of you, you're sitting there going, what? Anyways. What, that's what's it expanding into? That's exactly right. And so I, and there's part of me that hopes the Voyager can find the end of it. Anyways, because <laughs> maybe they'll find God. Anyways, but the point is, but the point is they'll never find it, will they? Okay? Because God is beyond it. But what I'm asking you to do is to, 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 to really consider the, the magnitude, the, the, the limitlessness of God here. If God is beyond his creation, how did the universe get here? God spoke it into existence. Farther out than you can ever imagine. Farther out than even the Hubble telescope. And I've got great pictures of some of the stuff that the Hubble has gotten. You can actually go online and um, Hubble's got a site and NASA's got a site with pictures of it. And some really phenomenal pictures that they have, that they have captured. But you know what they haven't found yet? The end of the universe. <laughs> yeah, they haven't found God. They're never going to find God that way. But, but they haven't found the end of the universe. Isn't it an amazing thing? For as much as they want to do, all they can continue to do is find out that it is what? There is more and more that's out there. 
in the fact that we know that God created it all, that he is beyond even the heavens of heavens, how large God is. Now, we're not talking about the lar- just the largeness of God now, but in this infiniteness of God, in that he is spatially limitless, we also mean that he is not bound to be just outside of it, that God is not standing outside of that space as well, but that God is everywhere present within it. And we'll talk about this in a moment when we get to omnipresence. But that God is then everywhere at all times. He is infinite. He is unbounded. He is, he is large. In Acts chapter 17, when um, Paul is, is talking, he says um, to the men of Athens in the Areopagus, he says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, or Areopagus, and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Just in case we missed one. We, we want to make sure that we're, we're reverencing him. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Why? Because he is beyond it. He is beyond all that. So, now, in all that then, Isaiah 66 says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me, and where is the place of my rest? In other words, I am beyond all these things. We want to look at the derivatives of God's limitlessness, okay? The fact that he is eternal, the fact that he is infinite, then brings up these two other natural attributes of God that we refer to. First of all, um, turn to Psalm 139. I'm glad I put things up there sometimes to remind myself. Psalm 139 was part of our, our Bible reading. And in the second portion of this, in verse 7 to 12, we see that God is omnipresent. And that is that he is everywhere present. So, As Devin read it earlier, we read that David cries out, beginning of verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And the answer is what? Nowhere. It doesn't matter where I go. If I go into the depths, you're there. If I go into the heavens, you're there. If I go into darkness, you're there. If I'm into light, you're there. No matter where I go, you're there. God is everywhere present at all times. God is everywhere present at all times. How does that make you feel? That means, I hope, hope good. We're going to talk about that in a moment at the very end. But this is either a moment for rejoicing or a moment for repentance. It's either a comforting thought or a challenging thought. Because when you go into that room and you think those thoughts or do those acts and you think nobody else is there, God is. When you're riding down the road and, and, and you want to do whatever, God's there. God is everywhere present at all times. But we're told in the very beginning of Psalm 139, beginning of verse 1, that he doesn't, He's not just omnipresent, but He's what? He's all-knowing. He says, O Lord, You have searched me and known me, you know my sitting down and my rising up. My under, you understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Yahweh, you know it altogether. And then he says in verse 6, such knowledge is what? It's too wonderful for me. I can't attain it. 
One of the most mind-boggling thoughts for me is the thought that God knows every thought that you all are having right now along with me. And it's not overloading his processors. Now, if that's mind-boggling enough, because there's, what, 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever of us here, he knows what's going on in everybody's thoughts in every congregation that's meeting right now. From eternity, past eternity, future. And that's exactly right. But even just right now, even at this very moment, every thought that, that, that's being thought right now is, is, God knows it. And beyond the, the congregations, God even knows those who aren't in church right now. And he knows the thoughts that they're thinking. And we're not talking about just the United States. We're talking about outside of the United States. Throughout the world, every person who is alive right now is having some thought. Right? Unless they're totally what? You, what? Unless they're, <laughs> they're asleep. And even that, they're what? Dreaming. They're dreaming. They're having thought processes. Okay? I was going to say, unless they're brain dead, and I don't mean that from the medical term. I just, sometimes I sit there and Marsh says, what do you think? And I go, nothing actually right now. I'm just, nothing. But God knows that, right? God knows if there's a void happening in my brain at that moment. It just incredible to me to think of the billions of people there are in the world and that God knows every thought then yes Don take that the next step not only does he know the thought that I'm having at this very moment he knows the thoughts that I have already had and you ready for this because he is again eternal and he's not confined by time he knows the thoughts I'm having tomorrow not that I'm going to have tomorrow he knows the thoughts I'm having tomorrow do you get it because it's not future to him. It's present tense to him. He knows the thoughts that I'm having yesterday. The thoughts I'm having tomorrow. The thoughts I'm having 30 years from now, if I'm still here. They're all there. Remember when we talked about sovereignty and we talked about the, that, that, the professor, that I don't necessarily agree with the, the statement, but I agree with the concept that God is the only one capable of perfect prediction. That God knows, based upon whatever decision I make at this very moment, what the consequence will be. And so whatever you decide, God knows it. It's not a matter that God is going to what? Take a guess at it. God knows it. We read in Acts 15, God, known to God from eternity, okay, and what did we say in eternity was? It's without end, past and future, right? And God is eternal, so he goes beyond even time, right? And so take this concept of eternity and go mind-boggling beyond you can ever imagine in the beginnings, okay? So known to God from eternity are what? All his works. So does his works end at the new heavens and the new earth? It does for you because that's, that's the end that we can comprehend, right? And then we think, okay, then we'll find out what's going to happen after that. God doesn't have to figure out what's going to happen after that. He already knows. And that's why David says what? Such knowledge is what? I can't handle this. It causes my brain to spin out. I mean, my, I, I mean, for Bob, even though I believe in heaven and I yearn for the moment that I can be in his presence, when I begin to comprehend and I begin to try to meditate on what comes after I die, it can just cause me to have the willies. Not because I don't believe there's a heaven, not because I'm worried about what's going to happen afterwards, because I can't comprehend what? Timelessness. I can't comprehend eternity. 
I mean, we sang this morning Amazing Grace when we've been there what? 10,000 years. We can say when we've been there 10 billion years. We can say when we've been there 10 quadrillion years. We can say when we've been there 10 decillion years. I mean, you can't have a con- I mean, no matter what number you put on it, you still haven't hit eternity. Because eternity is always infinite plus what? One. <laughs> it keeps going. Because that's still infinite. That's still eternal. And God knows all his works. Infinitely. Eternally. In Psalm 147, we, we read that, that God counts the number of the stars. He counts them. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is, is infinite. When God was trying to prove a point to Abraham, to Avram, actually. He said to Avram, he said, look up into the sky and do what? Count the stars if you can. We go out in the city lights, and we look up and we say, oh, that's not too hard. But go out someplace where there are no lights. Like when we go to, to Canada, I love to go out onto the pontoon boat 26 miles upriver because there's just nothing, you know, we don't have... No electricity, no running water, no nothing. And I go out in the middle of the river in the pontoon boat and lay down on the bench and just look up. It's phenomenal how many orbs there are, stars, planets, everything, in the sky. And that's when I look up and I remember the verse. Count the stars if you can. And not just count them, but give them all a name. And know them distinctly apart. It's always amazing to me, the people that go out there and they go, Oh, there's Orion over there. And I go, where? Oh, I thought that was the, the Big Dipper. No, 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 that's the da 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 You know, and, and look, there is the, and they tell me the name of a star, and I go, okay, that's great. And that really is impressive to me. It really is, because I look at it and I go, I don't have a name. But still, they're only pointing out how many stars to me. A couple dozen out of the thousands and upon thousands and upon thousands of stars that are there. Go out and start numbering them for me. Oh, that's number so-and-so and da-da-da-da-da. God knows each of those stars by name. There is not a star moving about, if you would, that God doesn't what? Know. And he doesn't know the path that the planets are. I mean, he knows trajectories. He knows everything. We have to sit there and we have to analyze it. God just knows it. Where will the moon be in, in, in so many years? God doesn't have to sit there and calculate like we have to sit and calculate. God can tell you exactly where the moon will be and where the earth will be around the sun. In fact, where our little solar system will be within, within the whole universe. We're told in Luke chapter 12, and this is a, just a tremendous verse to me, by Jesus, he says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? In other words, they're what? They're cheap. They're cheap. Five sparrows for two copper coins, like two pennies. Okay? It's like saying you can get five sparrows for two pennies. Cheap stuff. But the very, and not one of them is what? Forgotten before God. Not, there will not be a sparrow that falls to the ground without God knowing about it. The point of that is that God either caused it or God what? Allowed it. Even a sparrow. A sparrow, a bird, flies into your window. God wasn't taken by surprise. Oh, man, there goes another one of my baby birds. I'm going to have to create another one. It didn't take God by surprise. Either God caused the bird to fly into the window. That's a difficult thing to think about for some reason. Or God what? God allowed it. 
It, it wasn't outside of God's sovereignty. It wasn't outside of God's control. God allowed it for some reason. Okay? He had a purpose in that as well. Well, God says he doesn't forget any of those sparrows. And if he doesn't forget these sparrows, if they're not forgotten before God, look what the next says. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, some of you say that's not a big deal. You know, I can count that high. But on some of you, it's a really big deal. Okay? I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, I understand. I got a lot of hair. Okay? I mean, so I don't, I don't say that pridefully. I just, I just I, it, it's a chuckle how many times I, I go into uh, a barber shop or someplace, and the first comment they, they do to me when they're, when they're trying to cut my hair is, good grief, you got a lot of hair. And, yeah, that's why I'm here, you know. <laughs> do your job. I love this one. I don't have to pay by the hair. See, if you pay by the hair, I'm in trouble, you know. But you go in and you just get what? Haircut. They're saying, they're saying that as a plural, not as a singular. I mean, it's going to be an awful thing if it's $10 a hair, you know. Okay, we cut that one. You want another one cut? Oh, I, I can be broke in an instant. Anyways, but God says the very hairs of your head are, are numbered. That's an amazing thing. Do not fear, therefore, you are of much more value than, than sparrows. God is all-knowing. Last week, we talked about God being sovereign over your creation. That when God created you, he knew how you would be. Whether he caused it or whether he allowed it, based upon the dominion of man within there as well. That God knew whether you would have a birth defect, whether you would have a particular trend towards something, whether your personality would point toward things. It doesn't give us what? An excuse, though, to not do the right thing. God either caused or God allowed, and it's all for God's glory. As Jesus spoke to the, 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 the blind man and to his disciples, when the disciples said, who's, for whose uh, sin was this man born blind? And Jesus said it was nobody's sin, but rather that God would be glorified. It didn't take God by surprise. God knew that that man would be born blind. In fact, before eternity's passed, before he ever created the mountains, he knew that that man would be born blind. In fact, by the statement of Jesus made, I would say that before the, the mountains were ever formed, that God determined that that man at that time would be born blind so that he would be, receive the glory by the, the miracle that Jesus was going to perform on him. So, as we consider this omniscience of God and how much God knows and all your thoughts and stuff like that, now I think of that, go back then to the fact that God knows every detail in every encyclopedia and beyond. All this open source stuff on the web and, and I mean, the, the knowledge abounding. Daniel talks about this in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, talking about the last times, you know, people will run to and fro and knowledge will abound. And we think we're very impressive as man with this internet and with the Wikipedias and all these things because we think that our knowledge is what then? Ever expanding. That we're, we're collaborating and, and you can, if you want to know anything, you can go to the web and what? Find it. But I challenge you that God knows infinitely more than what's even offered on the internet. That there is knowledge that even microbiologists haven't even discovered yet as they get into the, the cell biology and everything else and, and how much full of wonder we are at what they're discovering within our, our own bodies and our own creation. That there is so much even more beyond that that God has not chosen to reveal to us.
as we consider each of these things, and you, I know you're all going to be filled with amazement now, but as we consider all these things, i got some questions to ask you. Because God is eternal, those who were created in his image are also eternal beings. This means that you will live eternally, whether in God's presence, heaven, or away from his presence, that's hell. Where are you going to spend it? Where are you going to spend eternity? God is eternal. God is infinite. Do you believe that? And if you believe that, have you then received the gift of redemption that he's offered you through Jesus Christ? Because you and everyone you know is going to live eternally. But as we saw in the beginning, and we've talked about over well over and over, that John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus states, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The eternalness of God means that you are eternal as well because you are made in his image and likeness and that you will live eternally. You're not just going to die and stop existing. Where will you spend that mind-boggling concept of forever and ever 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 and I can say ever how many times? Forever. I haven't got a clue what it's going to be like a billion years from now. I haven't got a clue what it's going to be like two years from now. But a trillion years from now. A quadrillion years from now. I mean, can you even comprehend that? A quintillion years from now? How old are you? Oh, I'm uh, five quintillion, four quadrillion. You know, I mean, just mind-boggling. Methuselah is nothing. But Jesus said that if you don't know him, that you will reside for all of eternity in hell, apart from the presence of God, where the fire does not die and the worm does not die. That you will be in calamity, in destruction for all of eternity. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've accepted his gifts, see, God wants you to be in his presence. And God wants you to have the joy to being in his presence. So have you received that? Because God is omniscient and omnipresent, you can be sure, like David, that every thought that you think and every place that you go is known by God. And as I asked before, does that bring you comfort or conviction? The things that you did yesterday, the conversations that you had this morning before you came here and you plastered, plastered that smile on your face. I don't mean that to be rude, but I, I know how that goes. You know, I know, I know how that you can have a rough night on Saturday night and you have a rough morning on Sunday morning and, and the family is going <laughs> at each other, right? And then you get to church and what happens? Someone says, hey, how are you? And you say, great, fine, wonderful, praise God, having a wonderful day, you know, and, and your kids and your, and, your, and your spouse is thinking what? Since when? <laughs> God knows those things. 
And so when we come and we have that time of personal prayer at the beginning of the service, and I challenge you as far as or whoever's going to lead it, challenge you, you know, is there sin that needs to be confessed? The reality is God knows it. So you might as well confess it. Because it's not a matter you're going to get away with it. You haven't got away with it. We think if man doesn't see it, it's okay. But my job is not to please God, or to please man, but to please, to please God. Is the fact that God is omnipresent and that he's omniscient, does it bring you to the point of rejoicing in worship? Or should there be a time of repentance? We're getting ready to sing the same song we started off the service with, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. In light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. He's hid from our eyes because he is so what? He's so brilliantly light. Because of his holiness, we'll talk about that. But the fact is that he is always here with us as well. And so I want to challenge you that as we sing that song, that if you're here today and you don't know him as your Savior, that you take the opportunity to accept him as your Savior. If you're here today and you do have sin, it's in you. Things that you think that other people don't know about. You know what God does. If it's a matter of confession, that you take care of that before God as well. But let's turn to hymn number 33. Hymn number 33.